Welcome, everybody. I'm Mark Peter Davis, Managing Partner of Interplay. I'm on a mission to help entrepreneurs advance society, and this podcast is part of that effort. We're changing up the structure a tiny little bit. We're changing the partner meeting to focus on Fong and Mike's content. So we'll be covering uh, startup business insights and uh, tech trends and kind of macro trends around what's happening in the venture space. Uh, And we're peeling Chris off to do his own segment where we're doing deeper dives less frequently on on markets and global macro. Recently did his coverage of, of his experience in China. I thought that was a really good episode and piece. If you haven't listened to that, highly recommend you dial back and listen to it. So today we've got Mike and Fong. I think it's a great conversation. We touch on a little bit of Latin America. We touch on bootstrapping versus raising capital and how to do it. Hope you enjoy. We've got Iron Fong Ireland here today. She's the toughest on the team. Uh, She has a cold and she didn't let it stop her. She's here to give us uh, some insights. What do you got, Fong? Um, Thanks so much, Mark. I know I I normally can troop through uh, a a lot of illnesses, but I got taken down this time. So um, hopefully I'll make sense today. But today I wanted to talk about a topic that not a lot of investors talk about for obvious reasons. Um, I wanted to talk about how to bootstrap your startup and things to consider to, uh, before doing so. And if you decide to do so, how to go about doing it. So first off, just a reminder that bootstrapping means building, your, building and growing your business without external funding. So this means you're relying on your own resources to fund your startup. So your personal savings, revenue from the business, or loans. That sounds hard. Why would anyone want to do that? Um, I think the obvious reason is you get to maintain full ownership of your company. So you have no one to answer to, and there's more for you in case of an exit. But there's some other really compelling reasons, too, why you might want to bootstrap. One is that it forces you to get good fast. So you're scrappy, you're resourceful, you're figuring out stuff on your own. So this might help you discover skills that you didn't know that you had. Two is without investors to appease, you'll have more control over the direction of your, of your company. If you want to try a different product design to shift your business model, completely change where your company is headed, you don't have to worry about getting approval from anyone else. Thirdly, it forces you to focus on profitability. So when you don't have outside money, you're forced to ge- generate revenue as early um, as possible and become profitable as soon as possible. This will make you focus on building a strong foundation that can help you develop more sustainable growth. And then lastly, it makes you more attractive for future rounds of funding. If you're able to bootstrap your startup to a few million dollars in revenue, it's going to attract a lot of investors with more favorable terms for you. So, you know, obviously there's some drawbacks. It's riskier personally. Um, You have limited funds, which means you're growing more slowly. Uh, this could be more particularly, this could be more risky if you're in an in industry where your competitors are well-funded, and then you don't get access to the mentorship and the connections that investors could bring. But if you decide this is the path for you, here are some tips on how to do it. Um, first, figure out how much money you need to get started. Think about how much money you need to live, how long you, need, you can be without an income. Maybe don't quit your day job yet. And then think about the costs of building the business. Is it just your time? Do you need software? Do you need services, equipment? How much money will you need monthly to keep things going? And then figure out how you'll cover those costs. Are you dipping into your savings? Are you taking out loans? 
Uh, tip number two is get a co-founder. I know I've talked about this in the show before, and it's always um, an important decision to make, regardless of how you're financing your company. When you're bootstrapping, it might make even more sense to seriously consider getting a co-founder because you're spreading out the work and the financial risk. Choose a co-founder with complementary skills. That's, that way you're covering off a lot of the work. And then together, learn as many skills as possible so you have less work to outsource. Uh, next tip is that all the traditional principles of a lean startup are more important now than ever. So validating your business idea, building a streamlined MVP, testing and iterating your product to reach product market fit. All these things need to be done diligent here, diligently here so you're not wasting your resources. Uh, tip number four is to identify your ideal customers and start with a focused niche that you can talk to and market to efficiently. The key here is fewer but more loyal customers that bring in cash consistently and don't cost too much to service or acquire. It's going to be more valuable than taking talking to a larger set of disparate customers. You know, build this audience before you even launch and then identify the right marketing mix to reach them. If you have a small, concentrated set of customers, it's going to be more obvious how you get to them. So number five, invest where it's important. So it's great to do a lot of stuff on your own, but when something is really important and you don't have the skills to do it, outsource it. Um, a good example of this is branding. So this is where um, you, know, you can really differentiate yourself in the marketplace. It's a key buying factor in both B2B and B2C businesses. And it's not a skill that many people have. So this would be one place where it'd be actually good to spend the money. Uh, and then lastly, track the right KPIs and avoid vanity metrics. You really want to understand how your business is performing. And so you should focus on the numbers that really matter. Sales, conversions, lifetime value. These are essential to look at. It's great that you're growing your social media following, but how many sales leads or sales dollars are coming from there? That's what's really important. And then there's all the other obvious stuff, right? Like minimize your expenses, track your burn rate, don't hire too quickly. All that comes becomes even more important here. Um, and that's it. That's Those are my tips. That is a great topic. You know, this is uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, at Interplay, uh, we have started and invested in lots of high growth venture backed tech companies. But I don't know if everyone knows, but we've uh, also bootstrapped uh, about a dozen companies, a lot of which have worked out. And uh, the way we typically bootstrapped was a little bit of partner capital, but also mainly through revenue, just getting to revenue really quickly, even before we set up a lot of expense infrastructure. Uh, the pros and cons of bootstrapping are not valued. The pros are not valued enough by most people. I think it's really okay. a terrific way to go. Uh, you know, the, the maintaining ownership really is a game changer because even smaller exits can be really move needle movers for folks. Uh, and it's not to be undervalued how much it forces discipline, right? And how you spend money, how you spend your time, resource constraints bring the best out of us. Uh, the one downside, we've always kind of had a rule of thumb that when you bootstrap a business, you basically add one to two years to the growth curve. So that's not based on any science, just, just intuition of what we experienced. So you might be in year five where you would have been in year three with capital. So it slows you down, but there's some math in there somewhere for owning more and the relative trade-off. Uh, for those who are really thinking about this, I never promote my book. I'm the worst at that. I don't care. But there's a section in the front of my book that everyone 
on this topic should read. I feel like this is my one intellectual contribution to this line of thinking, uh, where I developed a two by two, which helps people evaluate whether or not they should bootstrap or raise venture capital. And the argument is that about 99% of the people should be out there bootstrapping or finding alternative sources of capital, and about 99% are chasing venture. So there's a complete misalignment. Uh, And my hope is we will look at that two by two. They kind of find a way, uh, see where they really belong and play the cards a little bit differently. Great topic. Thank you for muscling through that fog. Yeah, thank you. It was a a fun topic to think about. All right, Mike. What's up, buddy? What's up, man? (laughs) That's what what Deepin used to say. He did used to say that. Probably still does. Throwback. Probably still does. I hope he still does. Yeah. Um, what's up? I'm Deep fresh off a trip to Bogota. Um, yep. I caught it? up with a portfolio company of ours called Chipper. Uh, it was great. Mm-hmm. Bogota is a really cool city. There's a lot of startup activity there. Obviously, that's where Rafi came from and kind of the entrepreneurial bug that, that was seeded there uh, through the Rafi team has emanated out into a bunch of really cool companies and, and what's a very vibrant, fun, cool uh, Latin American city. So great trip. Um, good to get back down to the region, see the team, and uh, we had a good time. Yeah, LATAM is uh, awake. Right? You've got the Colombia, Mexico, Brazil kind of triumvirate going now. For people yeah, are- Colombia is awake in company building. It's asleep in fundraising. Uh, you know, if you think the mm-hmm. drawdowns here in the U.S. have been have been large, it's multiplied down there in terms of available capital to the region. So it seems like the flight to quality has continued. And I think when people think quality, it's not just business metrics. It's also region that the business operates in. For sure. You know, it's a challenge for investors. We talk, we see a lot of companies coming up from other geographies and governance, laws, exit environment, acquirers, follow-on capital are all forms of risk that are outside of the company and the business concept and the team that are real. Yeah. And we you know we've seen LATAM kind of cycle through, you know, exacerbated versions of the U.S. market for a number of you know, probably decades now in terms of venture growth. I, I think this time will be different because you've got so many good established businesses in the space, and you know, looking at Chipper, they're, yeah. they're best in class. So if you look at the global landscape of B two B marketplaces focused on, you know, servicing corner stores, uh, that 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 business model exists in most regions of the world now. Um, there's one in India, there's one in Latin America, which is chipper. There's one in, in Africa. Like you see this model getting replicated all over the world right now, because it's a real problem in these countries. And I think chipper is best in class in that. So, you know, I think in terms of flights of quality, you, I think we've got the winner there, but you know, it's still, uh, it's a tough market for, for these emerging markets to raise capital. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's a long game building a venture ecosystem, but I imagine a couple decades out, there'll be more capital, mm-hmm. more depth, more institutional money more understanding uh, for the rest yeah. of the you know, ecosystem to get behind it. Yeah, I'm glad it was a good trip. What do you want to hit today? Yeah, um, I think I think we can expand on that topic. I mean, it's something that I, I saw firsthand you know, in the board meeting this week um, and uh, I think is, is kind of you know, broadly applicable across the ecosystem now. And I think a good place to start is there's a Crunchbase article from Crunchbase News about two weeks ago now saying, Series C funding to U.S. companies by year. Uh, the, the title of the article was Series C isn't what it used to be, uh, which I thought was fairly clever. You know, the high level is 2021 obviously peaked for Series C funding. And I'm using Series C as just like a guideline for like growth. You know, it's sort of like the, the for some companies, like the true like growth round sort of pre-IPO or growth round. 
2021, we saw 50 billion of funding. 2020 for context was 23 billion. 2022 reset to about 2020's numbers. So we got to 28 billion or so. 2023 now is two and a half billion year to date. So it's on track to do, I don't know, 60% less than 2022 number, uh, which is a significant recalibration in the market. So you know, it, it, the way I think about this is if you think that 2022 was the correction back to 2020 levels, 2023, a lot of people were like, will we bounce back? The answer is not only have we not bounced back, but funding looks like it'll be down at this growth stage mark by about 60%. So well below 2019 that? levels. Why do you, I mean, yeah. obviously the market got haywire. Why is Series C down 60 specifically? What's your sense of it? Yeah, I think what we're seeing in the market now is in incredible flight to quality. So a lot of people have said, oh, there's so much dry powder, there's so much this and that. Like growth stage investors are not doing a deal unless it fits the exact wheelhouse that they're looking for and that the metrics are perfect, the growth is perfect, they're probably profitable at this point or or very close to be profitable. Uh, and the, the the available universe of those companies is small. And the really good ones don't want to raise right now if they don't need to because they think that marks will be poor. So a confluence of not that many companies in the space actually meet the criteria, plus companies in the space that do meet the criteria are like, why would we go to market right now? They could go raise venture debt, maybe insiders are padding with some capital we didn't hear about, or they're just like, we'll ride it out. And I know we've got a bunch of companies in our portfolio that fit that criteria where in any other market, they would have raised another round to either continue growing faster or short the balance sheet. Instead, they've chosen to grow slower and just not test the market right now because they know... Uh, marks are not going to be good. You know, I just came back from giving a talk to a bunch of uh, Series B-ish Canadian entrepreneurs, and they're doing a tour through New York and Palo Alto to meet other folks and learn and swap notes. Uh, and the question came up, like, how would you characterize early stage versus growth? And I said, one of the big differences is in early stage, you're chasing the VCs. It's not quite right, but in growth, the VCs are chasing you a little bit. And it's because companies have more options. They're default to live. They're easy to raise money from internal uh, investors. They've got real businesses. Now, if they're garbage businesses, that's a different issue, but they're not getting funded anyway in this market. But the yeah. real businesses have a greater degree of optionality on not taking down capital. So not a totally surprising stat. Um, and we've seen that too internally. I mean, you, and I, you know, like we have seen a real contraction of, of valuations, deal terms in the growth stage. Um, I think it is a great time to be investing in that market. Uh, you have to yeah. be a bit of uncontrarian if you want to make money. Um, so this is this is a buyer's market in my mind. Yeah, agreed. And I think the, the the great founders know that like a mark to market is not the end of the line. So if you raise your last round at two hundred or two fifty, right, and it was a crazy round led by you know we won't name names firms, but uh, firms that you know were marking up companies out out of whack. If you need more capital and you have to just recognize, hey, you know what, we'll raise 20 on 100 right now, might be half the price per share of the previous round. But as long as you manage dilution appropriately, it really shouldn't matter for your long term outcome in the business, right? It's just a mark to market on your stock price. It's not an exit. So get the capital, keep building and realize that markets go up, markets go down. Your job as founders to make sure the business survives and surviving might mean just recognizing, hey, we're not worth what we were two years ago in the market. But going out to VC saying, hey, we want a flat round, like that's a bad signal. And it shows that it shows investors that you're not aware of market dynamics, which shows 
investors, especially myself, and, and I know you as well, that you're just you're not as competent at, at, at running a show as you as we would like to see for someone that we want to invest in. So for founders out there, understand the market dynamic, go out, raise the money that you need. You don't have to overcapitalize businesses, but but also be realistic that the price of yesterday is not the price of today. And that's okay. Welcome back to New York, Mikey. Glad to have you here. Yeah. Later. So I'm probably the only VC, I'm sure that's an overstatement, that thinks a lot of people should be bootstrapping their companies, uh, meaning I shouldn't be part of the deal and we shouldn't be cut in uh, to fund in your fund your business. Uh, bootstrapping is a terrific way to build the business. It requires a little more patience, but it real, builds really strong companies. I think the key, the key to know is that if you have a really large market that you can go after and you have... Uh, an incentive to grab land in that market quickly, that's when you for sure want to be raising venture capital. There are a lot of businesses that build barriers with scale, particularly businesses with network effects. There, there's a time when raising venture capital is a disadvantage because you end up just owning less of a small pie because you got it wrong. And there's a time when not raising capital is going to set you off to the point where someone else is going to run by you. The key is to find alignment between the business strategy and your capital strategy. And if you're bored and or interested in that, check out the first 30 pages of my book, The Fundraising Rules, which you can find on Amazon. Peace out.